Hello and welcome to eBible Fellowship's Evening Bible Studies with your speaker, Chris McCann. If you'd like more information or to hear more studies, visit our website at www.ebiblefellowship.com. And now, with your evening Bible study, here's Chris McCann. Good evening and welcome to eBible Fellowship's Bible Study in the Book of Genesis. Tonight is study number 20 of Genesis chapter 6. We're going to be reading verses 14 and 15. Make thee an ark of gopher wood, rooms shalt thou make in the ark, and shalt pitch it within and without with pitch. And this is the fashion which thou shalt make it of. The length of the ark shall be 300 cubits, the breadth of it 50 cubits, and the height of it 30 cubits. And I'll stop reading there. Now, we're still looking at the end of verse 14, and shall pitch it within and without with pitch. And we've seen the first word pitch, 3722 in Strong's Concordance, is the word that means atonement, and is translated that way uh, many times. The word within is the word house. Um, uh, make atonement for the house of God is what what that is pointing to. And then it goes on to say, pitch it within and without with pitch. And the word without identifies with the location, the place where that which is under the wrath of God is found. And, and so within the ark, you have the house of God. You have the elect, the body of true believers. And their presence within is due to the atonement of the Lord Jesus from the foundation of the world. That's how they're able to be delivered. That's why they will survive the flood, which is an outpouring of God's wrath. They will make it through the judgment. But at the same time, not only... Is there an atonement within, but there's an atonement without with pitch. And the atonement without has to do with the people um, historically that were living at that time in the days of Noah. They were without the ark and God made determination. Now is the time in his program of judgment to destroy the first earth and to provide a historical example of what will happen at the end of time with our present earth. And so God poured out his wrath on all people outside of the ark. And in so doing, he he slew them and they died in the process of making payment for their sin. That is, the law of God demands satisfaction for the sins of mankind, because every human being is married to the law. And uh, it says in Proverbs chapter 6, in Proverbs 6, in verse 34, for jealousy is the rage of a man, therefore he will not spare in the day of vengeance. He will not regard any ransom, neither will he rest content 
though thou givest many gifts. And God is the man in view. He He's married to the people of the earth, yet they have committed adultery against him. He adulterers and adulteresses is how the Bible addresses mankind. And therefore, he will not spare in the day of vengeance, nor receive atonement from any other source. There, there will be no ransom for their soul, because Christ has made the payment for a specific number and specific people. And for the rest, well, now there, there is no Savior. They have no one to be their substitute or to stand in their stead. And therefore, they must die for their own sin. And that's what the flood accomplished. It, it was the pouring out of the wrath of God in fulfillment of the law that says the wages of sin is death. The payment for sin. You know, we, we live in a world that thinks you can just sin and sin and sin and get away with it. That there's never any, um, payment to be made for, for our sinful thoughts and our sinful words and our sinful deeds. We, we just multiply them and, and they become, uh, enormous, uh, uh, just a whole mountain of iniquity. And, and because we don't see anything happen at the time, and you know, the Bible does say, because, um, sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, the hearts of men are fully set in them to do evil. And, and God does not execute it speedily. That is, the moment a person sins, God does not strike them dead then and there. And, and so, uh, a man sins and seemingly, apparently, gets away with it. And so he sins again and again and again and again. And, and then he gets bolder with the type of sin, the degree of the transgression, and until we find ourselves living in the world like we're living in today, where people think they can do whatever they please. They can take a law of God and just turn it completely around. They can call good, bad, and and that which is right, they can say is evil, and, and so forth. Yet there is a God, and, and there is a law, and the law demands justice be served, and therefore the sinner um, must die in accord to the law. As the law has decreed, the wages of sin is death, and the, the people of the world of Noah's day know this because they've experienced it. They they didn't believe Noah that God was going to destroy them until the floodwaters started to fall from heaven and open up from beneath and so forth. But once it happened, then they knew the judgment of Jehovah. Then they experienced the judgment of God. And then they were making payment. They personally, individually, each human being that had sin, whose thoughts were only evil continually, was God's assessment of the people of the world at that time. They were then 
performing the atonement for their own sin. Exactly what Jesus did. Jesus bore the sins of his people. He became a sinner in God's sight. And God poured out his wrath upon him. And and Christ suffered and died because of sin. That was the atonement. The only difference between what Christ did for his people and what will happen to each um, sinner in particular that, that is unsaved without a savior is that Christ, being almighty, eternal God, was able to overcome death and and God the Father raised him from the dead victoriously, gloriously, and he was declared to be the Son of God, the firstborn from the dead. That will not happen with finite, temporal, feeble, little man. He does not possess that kind of power. And the uh, terrible wrath of God will destroy him. As he dies for his sin, he ceases to exist. Man has no power, the Bible tells us, in the day of death. He, He has no ability to overcome death and 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 as a result in that atoning work he dies and is gone forever he's like the beasts that perish and that's what happened with all the unsaved people of the flood that's what has happened with all unsaved people over the course of history that is what will happen with all unsaved people today they will die in their sins God's law will um, get its payment and be satisfied, and then they will be gone forevermore. This is the atonement without. The, the atonement that the unsaved must partake of, and, and they themselves must be involved with, because God will punish them for their sin. Okay, let's look at the last word here, the second time the word pitch in English is found. And shall pitch it within and without with pitch. The the second word pitch in the Hebrew is 3724. And this word is translated a few different ways. Here is pitch. It's translated in Exodus 21, beginning in verse... 29, but if the ox were wont to push with his horn in time past, and it hath been testified to his owner, and he has not kept him in, but that he has killed a man or a woman, the ox shall be stoned, and his owner shall be put to death. If there be laid on him a sum of money, then he shall give for the ransom of his life whatsoever is laid upon him. The three words, sum of money, is a translation of the word that's translated as pitch in our verse. And it, it, it has to do with making payment. He will give a sum of money. Uh, it, it's a fine. He permitted his animal to get loose. The animal gored someone, harming them, perhaps killing them. And therefore, the law lays on him a sum of money. This is his debt. Because of his error, his sin, and he must make payment. 
and, and that is called a ransom for his life. In Exodus 30, this same Hebrew word, 37.24, is found in this passage, beginning in verse 12 of Exodus 30. When thou takest the sum of the children of Israel after their number, then shall they give every man a ransom for his soul unto Jehovah. The word ransom is the word we're looking at. Um, I'm going to keep reading so we, we learn about this ransom. When thou numberest them, that there be no plague among them, when thou numberest them. This they shall give everyone that passeth among them that are numbered half a shekel after the shekel of the sanctuary. A shekel is twenty giras. A half shekel shall be the offering of Jehovah. Everyone that passeth among them that are numbered from twenty years old and above shall give an offering unto Jehovah. The rich shall not give more, and the poor shall not give less than half a shekel. When they give an offering unto Jehovah to make an atonement for your souls. And thou shalt take the atonement money of the children of Israel, and shall appoint it for the service of the tabernacle of the congregation, that it may be a memorial unto the children of Israel before Jehovah to make an atonement for your souls. So in these verses we see that a ransom um, is involved with the atonement, and God assigns um, a price of half a shekel, and that's where um, we get the number five, because half is point five. And when we look up this word atonement, we find it identifies with the number five in the Bible. And, and that's why when breaking down numbers, maybe you've heard us say, well, the number five points to atonement. And the atonement um, is simply payment for sin. And, and so it's a good thing if Christ is in view because he paid for the sins of his people. But it's a bad thing if the unsaved are the ones in view because then they're under the wrath or judgment of God. And that's why it's like a, a two-edged sword. It can go either way. Now, we we see the number five here in Exodus 30 with a half shekel, but it really comes into view if we turn over to 1 Samuel chapter 6. 1 Samuel 6, and, and the same word, 3724, will be found in these verses. That's translated as ransom or sum of money. In 1 Samuel 6, beginning in verse 16, it says, When the five lords of the Philistines... Now notice how often the number five appears here. And when the five lords of the Philistines had seen it, they returned to Ekron the same day. And these are the golden emeralds which the Philistines returned for a trespass offering unto Jehovah. The historical situation is the Philistines had taken the Ark of God and wherever they uh, the, the Ark went in a Philistine city, they were plagued. And, and finally they realized we have to get rid of this. We need to return it to Israel. Uh, and yet um, they wisely made an offering when returning it. And this offering had to do with the number five. And, and so it really relates to 
an atonement or, or a ransom that they were paying because of their transgression. In verse 17, and these are the golden emeralds which the Philistines return for a trespass offering unto Jehovah. For Ashdod, one. For Gaza, one. Count the number of cities. That's two so far. For Ashkelon, one. That's three. For Gath, one. Four. For Ekron, one. Five. Five cities of the Philistines. I'll go on. Verse 18. And the golden mice, according to the number of all the cities of the Philistines. We find out the number for the golden mice. Back in verse 4 of 1 Samuel 6, Then said they, What shall be the trespass offering, which we shall return to him? They answered, Five golden emeralds and five golden mice, according to the number of the lords of the Philistines. For one plague was on you all and on your lords. Five golden mice and five golden emeralds, five lords of the Philistines, Five cities. And uh, let me keep reading here in verse 18. And the golden mice, according to the number of all the cities of the Philistines, belonging to the five lords, both of fence cities and of country villages. Now, the word villages is our word translated sum of money or ransom. This really uh, could have been translated um, of fence cities and of country ransoms or country sums of money. And, and through the use of this word, God is connecting this trespass offering the Philistines are making to the God of Israel with atonement, with payment for sin. And, and then it goes on. But, but you can see that the word ransom, and, and again, in Exodus 30, what is the ransom of the children of Israel? A half shekel. Doesn't matter if you're rich or poor. The, the price for each Israelite was 0.5, half a shekel. And, and here in 1 Samuel 6, the Lord emphasizes the number five, number five, number five, because it has to do with a ransom, a ransom for trespass, and therefore it's related to atonement. It's related to payment for sin. Now, let's just look at one other verse that uses the same Hebrew word, 3724, in Isaiah chapter 43. In Isaiah 43, and in verse 3, it says there, For I am Jehovah thy God, the Holy One of Israel, thy Savior. I gave Egypt for thy ransom, Ethiopia and Seba for thee. And we wonder, well, how did God give Egypt for Israel's ransom and it, it's connected to the death of the firstborn. Remember um, the last plague that came upon the Egyptians. God killed all the firstborn sons of, of every Egyptian. And it was through 
their death, the death of the firstborn of Egypt, that finally Pharaoh relented and set the Israelites free. And, and so that figure of the death of the firstborn, which of course ties in with the Lord Jesus Christ and, and deliverance it is used here. God is sort of connecting or tying to that figure when he says, I gave Egypt for thy ransom. It was their death that freed the Israelites. Well, when we go back to Genesis chapter 6, we, we see why God is saying, and pitch it within and without with pitch, with ransom. There, there must be an atonement and therefore payment must be made without, without, with the unsaved people of the earth, they also must pay for their sin. All right, let, let's go on to verse 15. And this is the fashion which thou shalt make it of. The length of the ark shall be 300 cubits, the breadth of it 50 cubits, and the height of it 30 cubits. These are the dimensions for the ark. God is the one that has selected uh, each dimension. And obviously the Lord could have made it longer, wider, taller, but, but, um, he did not. Very specifically, God gave these particular dimensions. And that means that, that they have significance. They, they have meaning. And, and we find meaning in numbers because numbers in the Bible are words. And just like God hides truth with a word, like in Proverbs 25, 2, it's the glory of God to conceal a matter. And, and the English word matter is the Hebrew word devar that means word. It's the glory of God to conceal a word. And, and the honor of kings to search out a thing. And that's the same Hebrew word devar. The honor of kings is to search out a word. Well, God hides truth in words and so Numbers in the Bible are words, just like we can um, we can write a numeral six or seven or number eight, and and we we have the ability to just write that number, or we can spell it out, and and we can write S E V E N for the number seven. Well, that's what you'll find in the Bible with all the numbers. You'll find. The number three is a word, hundred is a word, and fifty is a word, and thirty is a word. And therefore, these words have spiritual meaning. But what is it? Well, we find through context that that God will emphasize a number. He did it, we just saw in First Samuel 6 with the number five in relationship to ransom. Ransom that relates to atonement, half shekel, point five. And and then we're able to uh, understand five means atonement. He has also done it with the number three in the Gospels concerning uh, when Jesus went to the cross, the number three appears repeatedly. And the number three has to do with the determinate counsel 
that that Jesus of God, that Jesus must go to the cross, and therefore it indicates his purpose. And God has also done it with the number 40. Whenever the number 40 appears, we see testing and judgment. Christ being tempted in the wilderness 40 days. Israel tempted and judged in the wilderness 40 years. The spies searching out the land 40 days. The, the test of Israel. And, and Moses going up to the mount 40 days. And Israel in the camp were being tested. Would they be faithful? And they failed the test by constructing the uh, idol and, and and so forth. So this is how we come to assign a meaning to a number through how it's used in the Bible. And when we get larger numbers, as we have here with 350 and 30, we, we can look at the number itself. The number 300 is used um, elsewhere in the Bible. Remember Gideon, a god narrowed down his army to 300 men. And yeah, we can get some meaning that way. Uh, or 50, the number 50 identifies with Jubilee. And we can get some meaning that way also. But the Bible also allows for us to break down a number. And when we break down the number 300, it breaks down to 2 times 3 times 5 times 10. 2 pointing to caretakers of the oracles of God, the Bible. 3 indicating God's purpose. 5 having to do with atonement. And 10 completeness. So the ark, the length of the ark will involve the word of God and, and the caretakers for it and certainly God's purpose and, of course, Christ's atoning work and the completion of it. But also the number 300 can be broken down to 3 times 10 times 10, indicating God's complete purpose and a special emphasis on completeness because 10 is doubled. And with the number 50, 5 times 10. And, and we've seen, as the Lord has used the word pitch, concerning the construction of the ark. And the word pitch in the Hebrew, or the Hebrew word translated pitch, is atonement. And atonement relates to the number 5, half shekel. And, and so, it's not surprising, the breadth of the ark is 50 cubits, 5 times 10. The atonement is key and central. And 10, the completeness of the atoning work of Christ when the Lord saves everyone to be saved historically here of the first earth, the eight souls. But looking ahead, uh, the the world will have 7,000 years to enter into that which the ark represents, the Lord Jesus Christ and his salvation. And then the door shuts. So it is the, the completeness of the atonement that's in view. And a number 30, 3 times 10. Again, that, that's um, basically a shortened version of 300. 3 times 10 times 10. This is 3 times 10. God's complete purpose. And, and, and so uh, certainly we see these key numbers uh, concerning the construction of the ark. It, it, it is all according to the purpose of God. It all involves the atonement of Christ, and it has to do with completeness. God 
will complete his salvation program or the atoning work of the Lord Jesus Christ that was completed, yes, as as all the works were finished from the foundation of the world, yet will have its completion once the atoning work of Jesus has been applied to each of his elect and they've become saved and all have safely entered into the ark and and the ark, the spiritual ark of God's salvation accomplishes its purpose. Thanks for joining us for eBible Fellowship's Evening Bible Studies. You can hear these studies Monday through Friday over PalTalk, Skype, eBible Fellowship's webcast audio, or over your phone. For more information or to hear other studies, visit www.ebiblefellowship.com. Until our next study, may the Lord's perfect will be done.